You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Hey, Sonny. Uh, I'm not present. Sorry. Not here. Uh, hey, uh, I want it all, and I want it now. Uh, whatever. Ask somebody else. <laughs> Sonny, it's all about Queen in this episode. So here's what's on tap for this episode. Not only did we all go out and see Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, and we're going to do a review of this movie and kind of give our feelings on the whole thing. We're going to try not to give anything away, but it's not like the story is a hidden story. People pretty much know the story of Queen if you're a Queen fan. But then we're going to go and double down and do a top five episode, which as I started to dig into our top five Queen songs was really, really difficult. So big surprise. It's going to be our top five Queen songs at this moment because that's how we roll here on Growing Up Rock. What do you got to say about that there, Hollywood? That's right. And since, you know, we're going to do a movie review, we figure maybe we get an expert to help us out. Oh my God, it's so awesome. We got a special guest on Growing Up Rock tonight. Who's our special guest, Hollywood? My California brother, Mr. Brian Davis. How you doing? Hey guys, I know you really wanted Brian May, but you got me <laughs> instead, so that's okay. Dude, I looked it up and it said as long as we had one Brian present, that's all that really matters. Exactly. That's what I thought so. Well, thank you guys for having me on. This is a, a perfect little crossover because you guys know I love music. And then the movie is a no-brainer, so. Well, you know, the more I started thinking about this idea, music and movies intersect so many times because, I mean, it is all under the umbrella of entertainment, but it just, it intersects throughout. And Sonny and I, neither one of us have done a movie review on this show. And Mm -hmm. I think eventually we'll get around to doing more just because there's a lot of I love rock documentaries. I like rock movies. I like anything that has to deal with rock and roll. And I'm a big movie fan as well. So being able to combine the two is awesome for us. So we're happy to have you on the show tonight. No, this is perfect because on my podcast, Damn Good Movie Memories, and Sonny's been a big champion for that. So thank you again, Sonny. We do a lot of soundtrack uh, reviews. So like we just released Last Action Hero. We did The Star is Born, the most recent version. So it's been a lot of fun to kind of do, you know, like a crossover for my end, too, because like you said, movies and music, they kind of go hand in hand sometimes. Yeah. And it amazes me, like when you ask somebody what kind of music they listen to. Oh, I don't really listen to any music. Would you watch movies? Well, yeah. (laughs) So you do listen to music. There's no music in movies. I'm like, really? What kind of movies are you watching? That's right. I mean, think about Rocky. Rocky would not be the same without the score. You know, it'd be a great movie. But man, when you hear Gonna Fly now, you know, the dun, da, da, dun. I mean, you just get pumped up for it. The movie wouldn't have been the same without the score and the the music. It, It means everything. So many movies are like that. I mean, you can just rattle off movies from Indiana Jones to Star Wars, Star Wars. Yep. Chariots of Fire, right? Yep, absolutely. Rocky, all this stuff. And what's really cool about this episode, 
My wife and I talked about this a little bit more last night, which is what's awesome about this episode. Queen has a history of actually doing complete soundtracks for movies. So not only are we doing a Queen movie, but if you look at Queen's history, you know, nowadays soundtracks have become a compilation of bands or artists, right? Uh, right. Most soundtracks have a bunch of different bands on them, and that's kind of what movie soundtracks, for the most part, have become. But if you look at Queen's history, they've actually done two soundtracks where the album, that the Queen album is actually the soundtrack to the movie, right? Yeah, Highlander and Flash. Man, two huge movies from my childhood, and we'll get into that a little bit more as we go. But before we get into tonight's topic... Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so Growing Ups of the Week, these are the folks that shared us on Facebook and retweeted us on Twitter. And then we had asked uh, several times during the week to engage with us, either it's about your top five kick songs or people you would put in the hard rock hall of fame and some other things. So uh, we got some answers on that too, as people shared us. So here's the folks, Dan nation, decibel geek, Jody Habnot, Daryl Alber, may Martree music, Billy Hardaway, Andrew Jacobs, classic rock drops shared us and Mike and tuck. If you haven't heard, they're starting up a new kiss podcast called kiss talk and it's not your normal KISS podcast. They're doing kind of entertainment tonight. So I think their idea is, hey, this week on Podcast Rock City, they talked about X. And this week on KISS FAQ, they talked about X. So check that podcast out if you get a chance. Scott Gull, El Chili 21, Bella Lowe's 1966, Alan Tate, uh, Mike Jones. He uh, loved the Hall of Fame episode. And he said the first two that came to mind that he didn't get to see was Joe Satriani for his influence and King Crimson for pushing prog rock. Eladio, Janet Eck, Digital Killed, Save Rock and Metal, Tony Masalam, James Souza, Aaron Baker, Winnie Sounds, Andrew Block, David Cathy, Mark Arnold uh, said that he liked the Hall of Fame episode. Glad we mentioned Motorhead. He would have mentioned Humble Pie and Mott the Hoople and Black Flag. Derek Sokolowski, Mike Parnell, Rodney Dixon, Fast Vinny said uh, Maiden or Priest should be in. Take your pick. Uh, by the way, I put out a poll that put, you know, who's the biggest snub. And I put Maiden, Priest, and Ronnie James Dio, and almost half of the votes, 140 or so people voted, and half of the votes were for Maiden. So Maiden should be in, I guess. Uh, Nighthawk, Podcast Rock City, Bill Chavis, Bill Elam, Mitch LaFon engaged with us and said Maiden, Foreigner, Crew, Toto, and Priest should be in. Uh, the Peter Principles, Chris Fretwell, Trace Mess 469, Courtney Cronin Dold, Marcelo Verzi, Matt Ashcraft said, uh, if you want, oh, he was mentioning on the new, the new podcast that we did where we were kind of um, sharing some of the bands you may not have heard of. And uh, he feels uh, Thunder, DAD, and The Struts don't get enough play. Rick Friel, Ogata, Chris Sinzak, Jason Kearney, Peter Cessary said, everybody should listen to The Darkness. I can't handle those guys. I love them. The Power Core Channel, Jay Sablewski, Mr. Shortstop 3, Lady Lake PR, Indie Music Zone. Jason Kearney said uh, in the Hall of Fame, Mott the Hoople, Black Flag, Humple Pie. Same three, I think. Uh, Christopher Hake, Mr. Cole Thornton, Carrie Morgan, Arrowhead. Kalen Provo said you should give the Jailbirds a shot. 
I'm a bet the house that is a Canadian band. Uh, I, um, I can almost guarantee it. Yeah. Adam Cox, Daredevil Productions said Maiden should be in. Brad Rustovan, Marjake Van Lauer, Little Fish, I Love It Loudcast said Maiden should be in. Shay Hargett, Music Palace Radio, Shawana Lee, Jason Alexander, Gymnastics, who Gymnastics, oh, that's, that's an interesting name. Um, <laughs> he said T-Rex should be in. Yeah. EMZT's Infamous, Huddy shared us. Mark Winder 8, HA Collectibles. Stephen Wright's a little behind on the time, so he said, here's my five favorite uh, kick songs. <laughs> Red Hot, Black and Blue, Restless Blood, The Kid, Girl Money, Cold Blood. And then he said you should also try Striker as a new band. Uh, Restrained, who supplies all of our bumper music, and then uh, Podchaser. So pretty good list there. You skipped Chris James, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? Yeah. Sorry, Chris James, Arachak. There you go. That's a whole list of people, and we appreciate each and every one of those guys sharing us and communicating with us. That's what makes it fun for us. I got a really, really interesting follow on Twitter this week, which normally I just kind of, I don't think twice about it. It's awesome when people follow Growing Up Rock, and I try to communicate with each and everybody, but Jason Becker started to follow us. And initially, I'm always like, okay, well, this is a fan page or somebody, but it's a certified Jason Becker account, right? It has the little blue check uh, next to it. I just, I found that to be interesting because not that I'm aware of, we've never really done anything on Jason Becker music other than, you know, maybe like, uh, he was in Racer X, right? Or was he not? No, that was uh, Paul Gilbert and Marty Friedman. Right, right. right. But he's a, I think he's a California guy. He is a California guy. And we played some of the David Lee Roth, I think, that he was part of. And, uh, you know, his work speaks for himself. And, of course, uh, the interesting documentary that's out about his life and everything. But he's about to put out an album, I think. One of those, I think he's about to put out that album that he recorded solely on computer, you know, using his uh, eye movements and stuff. Oh, okay. Have you guys seen the uh, Jason Becker documentary? I have. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, definitely check that out if you're into Jason Becker. Is it on Amazon? Where'd you guys see it? Netflix. I saw it on YouTube. Okay. YouTube? Okay. Yeah. I got to check that out. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I can't remember what the title of it is. Uh, I believe it's called Not Dead Yet. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, look, we've got a whole bunch of stuff to get into tonight, and we've got a whole bunch of music to play, some that you may know, some that may be much deeper for you than you're used to, but I'm going to skip the Crank It Up Spotlight because we got more than enough music for folks tonight, so if you guys don't mind, I think we should just get right into the topic for this evening. Are you guys cool with that? Absolutely. Sounds good. All right, so each of us went out and saw Bohemian Rhapsody, the new Queen movie that just came out. And the idea was we were going to go out and see that movie immediately and do a review. And I'm going to work my ass off and turn around this podcast episode and get it out Sunday night so that it's fresh for everybody. So who wants to kick this off? Brian, you're our guest. Do you want to go first or should we go first? No, I, I, I can I can definitely go first. Uh, first, I want to say that the acting, terrific. Uh, their typecasting was absolutely perfect. I don't think they could have picked better actors to portray the band. I mean, especially Rami Malek, because he was the perfect choice to play Freddie Mercury. 
I don't think anybody could have played him any better. He had his mannerisms, the moves, you know, everything was down. The makeup was terrific. I mean, he looked like Freddie. And especially considering they were originally considering having Sasha Baron Cohen to be the original choice by Freddie Mercury. I just think that would have been a disaster. So I have no complaints about the actors in it. The one thing for me that hindered the movie, I thought it was a chronological mess. And so if you're a huge Queen fan that knows the history of the band, there's going to be certain scenes, actually a lot of scenes in this movie where continuity wise, it, it just it's factually incorrect. And so that kind of drove me nuts a little bit. So as a whole, I think it's a great movie for a casual Queen fan who's not going to get you know, upset about the super details that a Queen fan would love. The other thing is, I think the film also suffers from being rated PG-13. I think it would have been better as a rated R movie because at times it sort of feels like a, a sanitized uh, VH1 movie at times, especially when you, they get into Freddy's lifestyle and things like that. And part of this might be the fault of Brian May and the remaining members of Queen because they wanted a more kind of family-friendly type of movie. And you know, there are scenes in there, but it's I mean, you could definitely take your kid to it and you're not going to, you know, there's not gonna be any really racy scenes in there. Yeah. But I think because of that, it kind of makes for, you know, it, it does kind of feel like a VH1 movie at times. Uh, and part of this might be they had different directors. It started with Brian Singer and then it was completed by Dexter Fletcher. So maybe that haphazardness sort of, uh, you know, hurt the film a little bit. I don't know. I don't want to say all the movie was a disappointment for me because there were scenes that were absolutely terrific to watch. All of the studio scenes, great. The live aid scenes, amazing. They just nailed it. And the scenes with uh, Mike Myers, where he plays a record executive, hilarious. Just terrific. So, yeah, I, I think if you're a real hardcore Queen fan, the continuity is going to bother you. Maybe it won't, but for me, it did. And so for that, I would probably, you know, give it like three out of five stars. But I'd rather watch a Queen concert after seeing the movie. It's not something I'd want to rewatch, you know, over and over again at this point. How do you guys feel about it? So, all right. So my likes, I agree with the great acting. There's no doubt about that. Rami did an incredible job. I could not imagine Borat doing that job. So <laughs> that, that was great. Um, I will tell you. The movie was good enough to where there was at least once it brought a tear to my eye at least four or five times. I laughed out loud and forgot I was at the movie theater. And there was a couple of times where the music came and just me saying it out loud right now was giving me chills. So there was uh, it definitely hits you as a fan of just movies or Queen in general. So it's worth going. And the crowd clapped at the end. It was a full house. The movie that I went to and the crowd clapped at the end. Mm. Bad stuff. I agree with the PG-13 R-rated. I don't need to see two guys making out and doing all the dirty and all that, but there is some things about the story that really got sanitized because of it being PG-13. The movie was two hours plus, and it had a lot of stuff in it, and it could have easily been five and a half hours because it didn't talk about anything past 85. Nope. They didn't talk really about Freddie's death. They didn't talk about Queen after Freddie's death, and you're right. There was six or seven places where I'm like, that doesn't follow the timeline. Yeah. But here's the problem that the casual fan's going to have, or if you're not a Queen fan, is you need to know enough about Queen because the movie's too short to put the whole story together. But you can't know too much about Queen because some of the story doesn't follow the timeline. That's so right. it is a funky place to be. Timeline-wise, were you pissed off over the We Will Rock You scene? I was pissed off over the We Will Rock You scene. They didn't yeah. talk about... 
that there was members of Queen that had solo albums before Freddie ever thought That's, about yep. it. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, they said they hadn't played in years before they played Live Aid. That's bullshit. They were that on is. tour in 84, 85. Yeah, they put up, they no. put an album out. So, yeah. 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 So. <laughs> so, so I fall in that description that Sonny just described. I'm more of a casual Queen fan. I'm above average of a casual Queen fan. But the thing about Queen is I never really knew a ton about Queen. I knew all the basic stuff that you would imagine that somebody who's a music lover would know. So, I mean, I knew more than probably the average person off the street, but there was a lot of stuff I didn't know. And I agree 100% with you guys. I think the acting was really good. I also agree with you where I think a lot of people are going to tear this movie up because it did have a few VH1 movie qualities and i think that was everybody's biggest fear going into this thing but like sunny there were a ton of amazing scenes for me there were some really cool things if they're accurate you know like just the simple thing of how freddie came to have the the single boom arm stand you know i mean i i didn't have any idea of where that came from uh so that was cool i think they did a good job at sort of showing how much each member actually contributed to this being a band this band was not all about freddie mercury this band was about all four of those dudes and i think it really showed that no matter how talented an individual is if you take that individual out of certain situations, they just aren't the same. And I think that's exactly what happened with Freddie Mercury. I can't name one Freddie Mercury solo song, and I I don't think he had any success solo-wise, nor did any of the other ones. So Queen as a band were amazing. The compositions that these guys, all four of these guys are in, the songwriters hall of fame and all four of these guys have written multiple hit songs for queen so so that's pretty amazing stat in itself movie as a whole i enjoyed it but i'm pretty easy i did think there were some timelines but being not as familiar with all of queen i wasn't a hundred percent sure i thought that they spent too long on the live aid sequence because they essentially did the whole concert at live aid and so i thought that maybe they spent a little bit too much time listen at two hours and 10 minutes this movie at a pretty high level just kind of glosses through the band's history and like you guys said up until only like 85 and Live Aid is where it all ends. And so even at two hours and 10 minutes and just highly glazing over their history, there was a lot of stuff that they didn't dig deep into. I saw reviews. I tried not to read too much reviews because I didn't want to get swayed in any way, shape, or form. But I read some reviews were like, you know, hey, they didn't dig deep enough into Freddie Mercury's sexuality. They didn't dig deep enough into the drug issue. They didn't, you know, they didn't do that. But I'm thinking to myself, well, you're going to end up with a five-hour movie. 
if you start really trying to dig into this band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The one scene, so besides the timeline stuff, which, again, you wouldn't know unless you're a, and I'm not a crazy super fan of Queen, but you would have to be one step past casual to even know some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that I can get over. The one cultural scene that I had a, not a problem with, but I just didn't buy it. So the timeline, again, was incorrect when he's telling his band he has AIDS. Right, right. But then two seconds later, they all hug him. Today, people don't understand AIDS enough to hug somebody that has it. Back then, you remember? Nobody knew what AIDS was about. Nobody had a clue. You get it by just touching somebody's clothes. Like, they completely glossed over that, but it's a PG-13 movie. So exactly. maybe that's and, why they did it. And there's your reason you don't see the debauchery from the 70s and even early 80s, because it is a PG-13 movie. That's why I think the radar movie would have helped, I think, with, with some of the – you know, they don't have to you know make the scenes even that much longer, but they could have been a little bit more you know detailed about that. I, I think that would have helped. But again, I, they wanted this to be able to take everyone to this film. It was kind of obvious. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day – I think I probably agree with Brian's rating. Sonny, you didn't actually rate it, but I think three out of five stars is a fair rating. Maybe three and a half from me, just because, like I said, I'm pretty simple. So <laughs> I'm, easily, I'm easily entertained, as they say. Yeah, I would give it a three and a half. That's fair. I, I'd even, if somebody had wanted to argue with me and take it to a four, I'd take it to a four. Because, mm -hmm. again, just like Brian said, there was scenes that connected and grabbed you. So there is absolutely no doubt about that. The movie is worth seeing. Yeah. But if you're looking for this, I guess I was looking for this documentary almost. Yes. And I don't know why yeah. I was looking for that because they never said that's what it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think it was exactly what I expected from all the trailers that I'd seen and everything. I think it would have I think it would have probably been a better movie had they adapted it from maybe somebody's book that was written, but I don't think it was ever done that way, right? This was just a movie they created, right? Right, and it went through different, obviously different directors. I mean, this started in pre-production back in 2010, so I, this has gone through probably a lot, and I'm sure the band had a little bit to do with it as well. So, you know, the other thing is, there's another amazing musical out right now, and that's the remake of A Star is Born, and... To me, that's a perfect musical. So going into Bohemian Rhapsody, I kind of had a high bar, too. And, and maybe that's not the right perspective to be in. But I was so floored by A Star is Born that I was like, well, you better keep up that level, uh, at least storytelling wise, in Bohemian Rhapsody. So maybe it's a, maybe I'm clouded a little bit. But yeah, I think that portrayed a little bit uh, into my viewing of this, too. You know, just based on the other rock movies that I've seen and everything, I mean, to me, I'm that advocate of rock and roll that always says, you know, it's all good for rock and roll. <laughs> Whenever rock is taking a front seat to something, I always think it's good promotion for rock and roll because, I mean, let's face it, right now, rock and roll can use all the promotion it can get, right? Absolutely. And did you guys get the trailer for an Elton John biopic that's also coming out? I did, and I had no idea. Yeah. I thought it looked good. Yeah. I mean, that's something I would see, too. So that, I think it's uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. One thing we didn't talk about, because there was some reviews out there that were talking about, well, 
they tried to make it too funny, so they almost made it like Spinal Tap. I yeah. like that it was funny and not overly serious. I didn't think it was overly funny in any parts. I mean, I I thought it was real humor. Like I didn't yeah. I didn't get a oh let's put this quirky part in so that we get the crowd to laugh feeling from anything. Yeah, I didn't see it as slapstick type of humor, but like when Mike Myers first hears Bohemian Rhapsody, dude, I was laughing out loud. The lady next to me is like, you do realize you're laughing out loud, right? I'm like, oh, sorry. (laughs) Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. Like I saw Mike Myers' names in the credits at the beginning of the movie. Like I knew that he was in the movie, but I kind of, first of all, I didn't hear that he was in the movie before the movie. And then when I saw his name on the credits, I was like, okay, well, that's interesting in the opening sequence. But then I didn't think twice about it. And then when his part came up, like it took me a few minutes to go, holy shit, that's Mike Myers. Like I didn't know immediately that that was Mike Myers. Well, think about it. Can you name, how many movies can you name where Mike Myers actually looks like himself? I mean, it's maybe so. I married an ex murderer, and part and Wayne's World kind of looks him, but he's still in a in a costume that he just he always does himself up. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I thought it was great that they put him in the movie because if you think about it, the rejuvenation for a whole new world of Queen fans happened in Wayne's World from the original car karaoke scene. So to me, it was a great nod to add Mike Myers into that film because the original Wayne's World, Bruce Demon want Queen in the movie. They wanted a Guns N' Roses song. And he made sure that Bohemian Rhapsody was in the movie. And without him, that that whole movie is kind of made around Bohemian Rhapsody. And they re-released it. It became a hit again because mm-hmm. of it. So I thought it was cool that Queen or the band, whoever the producers, you know, kind of gave a wink to Mike Myers for that one. Well, and if memory serves me, and I may be completely wrong about this, please let me know if I am, but I can't remember. Was, was Myers the one that read the induction speech for them going in the Hall of Fame in 2003, I think it was? Do you guys remember? Uh, that's a great point. I don't remember. I don't remember. Sonny, Google that. <laughs> I will Google it. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I kind of in the back of my head think that he was the one that inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I think it was '03. That was the year they went in, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm I may have had a dream and be completely off base. Oh, it was that. actually uh, the Foo Fighters. It was Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins. Don't they induct everybody though? That's not yeah, very that's fair. Okay. Yeah, it's not fair. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was my next guest. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. so i saw the movie tell you about the experience a little bit so i saw the movie in one of those lounge chair yep. theaters yeah like all the chairs are lounge chairs yep so i purposely picked the seat at the end because i didn't want anybody messing with me on the left side so i'm like okay i'm going to be pretty much sitting somebody on the right side though so there's this five ladies that are sitting next to me so i lean back in the chair and she leans back next to me and i'm like You know, when these were regular bench seats, you would never think about the person that's sitting next to you. But now that we're kind of laying back, it feels like a first date, right? (laughs) That, That was what I said to her. And she goes, she puts her arms around me. She goes... Yeah, but I won't touch you through the movie uh, during the first date. I'm like, okay, that's cool. We don't say anything to each other the entire movie. When she gets up, she goes, you know what? You're a pretty good first date, except for you're a little antsy. You move around a lot. <laughs> I'm like, thank you? I don't know. I don't know about your seat. Mine is was built in 
like some sort of motion device. So anytime like the drums kicked in, the back of my seat vibrated. So I, it oh. actually made for a kind of a, an interesting experience, almost like you're at a concert. At I think somebody was kicking. Yeah, you. Brian, maybe that was know, the maybe. kid behind you kicking your seat. <laughs> well, I sat in the back of the theater, so maybe it was. It could be even worse. I don't know. Well, for <laughs> my for my experience, my wife and I took the afternoon off, and we went to the first afternoon showing, and I snuck in a bottle of Jack Daniels and two joints, and my wife nice. had my wife had three kittens uh in her purse with her and so we had three cats two joints and a bottle of jack daniels and we kicked back in these recliner seats and watched the entire movie now i just (laughs) completely made all that shit up but it was fun right of course (laughs) (laughs) my wife my wife and my wife's mom's gonna listen to that and probably their jaws are gonna be dropping until they get to that part where i was just like ah it's all bullshit The funny part is that really happens in some movie theaters, especially in the Bay Area. So it's not that far off. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, we we had the reclining chairs, too. It was great. It wasn't a full movie because it was Friday afternoon. So people were probably working or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, showing. I went I, I went on Thursday night, which was, I guess, before the you know official official opening. And, and there were a lot of people there. So I, w- I was pretty impressed. I went last night, Friday night at 7 p.m. Packed house. Yeah, yeah. Prime time, of course. Yeah. And here you get your seats ahead of time. So you have assigned seating. Yeah. So I didn't have to worry about like, I got to get there at six o'clock and get in line and blah, blah. You don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah, that, that's perfect now. So does anybody have anything else they want to add to the movie review before we move on? I would say it's worth seeing. Like if you're listening to us and you're like, I don't know, but I think it is worth seeing just the acting alone. Yeah, I'm never one to dissuade anyone from seeing anything, even if the movie's terrible. I mean, everything is subjective. But yeah, I mean, whether you're a hardcore fan or a a casual fan, it's worth seeing. At at the very least, you're going to get amazing music. So, yeah. Listen, I think the greatest thing about this movie for me, knowing all the Queen hits and knowing a few of the other songs that maybe weren't hits and just being a rock fan in general, the best thing about this movie was it made me stand up, take notice, remember why I loved Queen so much, and now dig deeper into the Queen catalog and discover all these gems that I either forgot about or never heard in the first place. And so I would absolutely say go see the movie. But that's just coming from a rock and roll fan. You know, I don't see a ton of movies. I Because movies come out so quickly on DVD, I have a huge you know, 85 inch TV and a good sound system. So sometimes I just like checking out movies in my own home. And nowadays, you know, they come out so quickly, but this movie was definitely worth seeing on the big screen. I think. Yeah. Then it's okay to have the two cats and the the joints and the Jack Daniels. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually two cats, a a bottle of red wine and absolutely no smoke whatsoever. But (laughs) that's okay too. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Each to his own, but I'm like 85 now. So, (laughs) all right. Well, before we move on, Brian, we got to get a little bit of your rock and roll background because We like to talk to people and dig into people's past and find out what it was about rock and roll and music in general that kind of hooked them when they were young. So tell us, for you, what are your earliest musical memories? Like, what do you remember growing up as far as music's concerned? 
So my parents are huge music fans. Uh, actually, on my podcast, my mom's been on a couple times. We did the Saturday Night Fever review, and we uh, we did the jazz singer with Neil Diamond, which was a guilty pleasure of mine growing up. So music was always around the house. My mom was into like you know the you know '60s rock and pop, and my dad was he was only into like blues and soul music, you know, from back then. So I I grew up with that. So I was way into like old school rock and roll, like Elvis Presley. But my very first concert in 1990 was Jerry Lee Lewis at the Circle Star Theater in San Carlos, California, which is no longer there. But I have always been into, you know, the early 50s rock and roll. And then as I started to get a little bit older, then I kind of shifted into more hard rock. And my gateway drug was Aerosmith because Aerosmith, you know, had that foundation of the blues and the Rolling Stones and and stuff like that. And from there, it just became ACDC and Zeppelin and and Queen and Judas Priest. and, And it just kept building and building and building. But to me, the foundation has always been the blues because that is absolutely ground zero for everything hard rock and heavy metal. And, and I still love that stuff today. So, yeah, that's me. Was there an Aerosmith song or album that flipped the switch for you? Yeah. So we, right around that time, Pump came out. Okay. And so I had heard, you know, of course, Walk This Way. And I think even Aerosmith was on The Simpsons in the early days. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say like season three and they did Walk This Way. And I had heard Walk This Way before, but for some reason, you know, it's at, there's timeline. And, and when it hit me, I'm like, I heard that riff and I'm like, these guys are awesome. And so then I went out and got the Pump album and then I went back and got the original greatest hits for Aerosmith. I think it was the the Red Wings cover and uh, and that was hooked you yeah. know then then from there i was just like anything hard rock and that genre it was kind of like the the you know the family tree of like and then you know kiss and and all that stuff it just kind of you know just came naturally from there awesome what was the first rock and roll albums you bought with your own money do you remember not album so i remember my parents bought me thriller so that i got that on vinyl i had to buy a tape it's it was probably some blues album but then rock and roll the first cd i bought was pump it was mm-hmm. aerosmith's pump so yeah on CD at least. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get into the topic of top five Queen songs for us at this very moment. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see I'm just a cool boy I need no sympathy Because I'm easy come, easy go Little high, little low Anyway the wind blows Doesn't really matter So, let's talk about how we first got into Queen. Brian, what's your story with Queen? Kind of touched upon it a little bit, but ironically, it was through a movie, and that movie was Wayne's World. And so I had, I'm sure I heard We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions before that, but seeing it in 1992, and at this point, I'm, I'm either an eighth grader or a freshman in high school, I was like, this is amazing, and it was funny and, and everything. And, and uh, you know, I think a lot of kids my age and even younger discovered Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody through Wayne's World. Yep. And, you know, it, MTV even re- re-released the song as a video and it became a hit again after that. And yeah, that was, I think that's when I saw that and I'm like, okay, now I need to start getting into this band and slowly but surely, you know, got their greatest hits and, 
then started to get deeper and deeper into them. And then from there, I've just been a, a Queen fan ever since. That's awesome. You've never seen them. Have you ever seen them live? No, unfortunately not. No, okay. no. Sonny? Uh, all right. So I got two distinct memories. First one's eighth grade. So 1982, my music teacher must have been a Queen fan because we learned another one, Bice the Dust. Mm -hmm. So we must have played that song 4,053 times. And I was playing uh, the baritone at that time. So it was a <laughs> pain in the ass. A doop, 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 doop. It was rough. And then my next Queen memory is really Radio Gaga because by the time I'm getting into MTV and buying stuff, it's 84, 85, and they're actually on the downturn, right? Because they're coming out of, they're going to do Live Aid, and then they do a couple albums, but now it's not every year, right? So they're at the that end, and I remember seeing Radio Gaga, and I'm, I'm watching the video, and I'm listening to the lyrics, I'm like, these guys are weird, and I wrote Queen off completely. Then, I would say probably early 90s when you start hearing some of the folks that you love, whether it's a guitar player, singer, whatever, that say they were influenced by Queen, then you start going down the rabbit hole of why. What I remember wasn't great. And then I start going down the rabbit hole, and that's when I got into Queen. That's awesome. So for me, it was my freshman year of high school. And I don't know about you guys, but freshman year of high school can be kind of scary and it was for me and so my freshman year of high school my most vivid memory was arriving to school and I was trying to make friends as quick as I could and I was playing baseball my freshman year for high school and I knew a lot of the older jocks on the team and they would pull up in their cars because they were already driving and they would be blaring another one bites the dust. And so my first experience with Queen was absolutely another one bites the dust. But because my musical taste were still kind of forming my freshman year of high school, I didn't jump down that rabbit hole immediately. Uh, that's just my most vivid memory and a song that I can recall calling up the radio station. Remember when you used to call a radio station and uh, request songs, that was one of the songs that I for sure requested that year. And from there, it was several years in between when I finally went to work for a record distributor after I moved to Atlanta. I got a promo that was... A radio, it was actually a radio promo, and it was a three-disc set of Queen hits. But they weren't all hits. There were some deep cuts off that as well. So I don't know what it was, but I took that and started submersing myself in Queen because I loved that three-disc set. And I don't, I don't even think that three-disc set was something that they were selling. I think it was something that they issued to record distributors and maybe radio stations. It wasn't something that you were able to buy. Uh, it was just like, I think that was what the cover was actually, was like a Queen Hits promo or something like that is what it was called. And uh, I still have those uh, three discs to this day. But now with the emergence of this movie and you guys' picks on these top fives, I've started uh, going down the, uh, the rabbit hole again and started downloading like complete records for my catalog, for my own personal catalog. Awesome. All right. 
so let's get into this top five. Who wants to kick us off? Should we let our guest go first? Let's do Brian, Steve, me. Okay. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, so my number five pick, and this was the hardest for me to decide on, but I'm going with It's Late from News of the World. It just, after I listened to this over and over again, uh, it had to be this. And the song has a little bit of everything, and that's what makes Queen so great. And, and they do it in about six and a half minutes. So you kind of get a mellow acoustic beginning. And you get an amazing harmony vocal, which is like the Queen signature. Power chords, chugging riffs in the middle breakdown, a ripping guitar solo. And then it's almost speed metal at the end of the song. I mean, seriously, this song takes you on a journey. And uh, the more I listen to it, the higher on the list I wanted to place it. But I'm leaving it at five. But Part of the reason the song has kind of a kitchen sink feel to it is that Brian May wanted the song to be like a three-part theatrical play. And to me, this is like the underrated epic from Queen where, you know, a lot of people will pick, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody as their ep- epic choice. But maybe this is Brian May's Bohemian Rhapsody because he gets sole credit on its late and Freddie got sole credit on Bohemian. So in any case, I think this might be one that casual fans might not know, but I think it's one of their best. And it offers a great range of, of diversity and talent that Queen had. Yeah, so for me, It's Late was one of those songs that I talked about earlier where I was not familiar with this song all that much. And uh, when I saw it on your list, I went and pulled it out on Spotify and listened to it. And I love it. I think it's a great song. So yet another discovered gem due to this episode. And I encourage the casual fan to go out and check out some of these deeper tracks. But that's a good one for me. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and guitar solo is really unique, so that part's cool. And then I'll have our listeners maybe answer this, but the guitar riff in the verse is familiar to me. I think somebody, some 80s hard rock sleaze band may have ripped that riff a little, and I cannot place where that riff is, mm. but I know that riff, and I don't know Queen that well. So that means somebody in the 80s probably maybe jacked that riff a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally we would play all the songs we're talking about, but you know, otherwise this episode would be like three hours long. We're, we're going to yeah. pick and choose songs off of each uh, person's playlist or each person's top five, I should say, to play. And there are some songs that were in my top five that are on either Sonny or Brian's list. And so I just left them off because I wanted to expose other songs, but there are songs on both those guys list that I absolutely think are top songs that I absolutely love. I just didn't put them on my list because they're already on somebody's list. So I tried to go with some stuff that's not on other people's list and expose maybe these songs. And so my number five is a song that's off a more recent album for Queen, which is Innuendo, the album Innuendo. And this song just is, to me, this says rock and roll. This song is so hard rocking for Queen. It's unbelievable. It's one of their more simplistic tunes to me. Here's what it says about the song Hitman. It says, The flyaway rocker, the Hitman, was started by Freddie Mercury as well. The original version was apparently on keyboards and in a different key. 
Brian May took Mercury's riff, which wasn't uncommon for the band, and changed the key and recorded a demo of the heavier version of Hitman, which is what you have. And then John Deacon then took the song, rearranged it, and structured it, and they all filled the gaps in lyrically and recorded it. So all the backing vocals were done by Brian May. The demo version is sung by Brian May, which you won't hear. So the finished product features Freddie Mercury's vocals peaking at an E5, which I think is a fifth octave above E. Is that what that means? I don't remember. I'm not a musician. But anyway. I don't remember. It's high. Let's put it that It's high. So here's the song, The Hitman, off Innuendo. Check it out.
Yeah, so when I went back and listened to that song, I don't give Brian May enough credit. I have never had him on any kind of list that said, this guy's a great guitarist. And I guess I don't listen to Queen enough to actually understand. But there is so much that happens through all these songs. It's kind of hard to pin him down to a he's an ex-guitar player. And uh, I think that's probably where he lost me. But when I hear stuff like this, it's like, man, I, I'd, I've never given Brian May enough credit. Here's one thing I'll say about Brian May, and anybody can chime in on this. But Brian <laughs> May is one of the few guitar players that I can hear and instantaneously know that's Brian May. Yeah. And maybe it's his tone, but I think it's more than that. I think not only is it it's his tone and his sound, but it's his phrasing as well. Oh, I totally agree. And uh, you brought up a good point about Freddie's octave range because they do t- going back to the movie, they do touch upon why that happened and they they explain, you know, he had four incisors more in in his mouth, teeth, you know, he had four more teeth, so his jaw and it was was larger than the average person and because of that he could do these amazing things with his voice so if he had been born quote-unquote normally he wouldn't have the same voice which is amazing absolutely yeah that's cool all right so my number five i also went with kind of a rock more of a rock song uh great backing vocals it's got like one of those muscle riffs that uh that you hear when somebody's really playing hard and the part that I love about this song is in the chorus, it's got that call response thing. So where Freddie's kind of saying something and then the backing vocals is responding to him. I absolutely love it when bands do that. Check out this song. I'm sure you know, we're going to play it for you. Hammer to fall.
Yeah, so I love this song. And this is a song that I don't hear very often till more recently. But this song is so great. And Queen is so great when they do songs that are kind of in this pocket feel. I absolutely love this song. It's become one of my new favorite Queen songs, to be honest. Yeah, and it's actually featured in the movie, too, because it's, it was played at Live Aid. Mm. So it's, it's great. Awesome. Brian, you are up, my friend. All right, next, I'm going with Stone Cold Crazy from uh, Sheer Heart Attack. And, and this has got to be one of the earliest instances of speed metal because, obviously, it's a heavy track because the Mighty Metallica decided to cover it. And actually, I think a lot of people discovered Stone Cold Crazy because of Metallica's cover. And, you know, James Hetfield and Tony Iommi performed it at Freddie Mercury's tribute concert in 1992, which was just awesome. And I think the song kind of took on a life of its own after Metallica covered it. But man, Queen's version just rips, especially considering, you know, this is like 1975, I think, when it came out. And this is like the Ramones before the Ramones. And if you're into metal or even punk, this is usually probably, you know, the track that folks mention as their go-to Queen song, because I never get sick of it because it's so short in length. It's just a little over two minutes and it's over. And Brian May's riffs are just vicious. And the brief guitar solos are, are equally as ripping. And Freddie's vocal phrasing is just fabulous. It, like only he could do. Great, great song. Yeah, there's two songs on your list, Brian, that I would be really hard pressed to say that if they're not on any of our rock and roll friends list, I'd be really, really surprised. And Stone Cold Crazy is absolutely one of those songs. It would have been Mm -hmm. in my top five, but I didn't want to put it on my list. But uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do is I'm going to do you one better and I'm going to play a little Stone Cold Crazy right here, right now. Gonna put me in a cell if I can't go to hell with the living room. Yeah. 
Yeah. So here's an example of just like Brian said, Metallica decides to do this song and Metallica hooks me because I'm like, that's not a Metallica song. Who the hell did that? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a song from 15 years ago by queen. I'm like the radio Gaga guys. They wrote that. <laughs> right. So this is how I'm discovering queen. Right. I mean, this is how it happens. Yep. That's it. And, and it's funny that you bring that up, Sonny, because a little bit further down, there's another song that has a similar introduction for me. And we'll get into that when it comes up on the list. But uh, this is how it happens. I mean, bands that are influenced by bands turning other generations onto music. And, and so what if you are a Metallica fan and you hear them play a cover of this Queen song and even if you think it's their song so what if you start digging down the rabbit hole that's why that's why I have to laugh when people are you know shit canning bands like Greta Van Fleet and all this stuff because they sound too much like this or that hey go if you like them go look up Zeppelin and check out Zeppelin you'll love it you know and they, and they were doing blues covers back then. So everyone borrows from everyone else. Exactly. Exactly. So on to my number four then. So I'm going to go a little bit more classic and a little bit more familiar. And I am going to go with my number four pick, which is Killer Queen. So this was written by Freddie and was the band's first international hit. It was one of the few songs by him for which he wrote the lyrics first Um, which are about an upper-class prostitute. (laughs) The band initially recorded tracks for the song without May because he was recovering in the hospital from an ulcer, uh, leaving spaces for him to fill when he was able to. So Mercury played a jangled piano as well as a grand piano. It was performed on Top of the Pops after charting as a single. So that's my story with Killer Queen. What do you guys think about that tune? Yeah, Killer Queen for me. So Queen for me, Queen and Sticks have a similar issue when I'm listening. And that is when it's straight ahead rock, I'm completely in. When it gets too too smart, too complicated, too musical theater, you start losing me. Mm. But for some reason, I still like Killer Queen. So There's some Queen songs that get like that, and I'm just like, oh, come on. I can't hear this. But Killer Queen isn't one of those. So I don't know. There's something about this song that connects. I think this is like one of the stereotypical like Queen songs because you also get you get the the chorus that everyone knows like it's very ad- identifiable Queen uh, you know when they get the killer Queen and then all that that fun stuff and it kind of channels on both sides which there's another great scene in in the movie where they're talking about the studio tricks of the early 70s that was kind of fun and I don't know if, if Killer Queen was part of it but um, yeah th- this is a great early track and, and and this is good to check out that if if you don't know early 70s queen this is a good starting point too yeah brian you you pull a, a really good point i don't think people realized and i didn't even realize till the movie where how influential they were with some of the recording tricks and some of the uh, progressive things that they did early on in the studio and killer queen wasn't one of the first ones although one of the reasons i love killer queen so much is 
kind of those sweeping course melodies and just the phase effect and and it just yeah. it sounds killer to me and it sounds uh you know it's very identifiable with queen this song is and so that's one why where i just couldn't leave it off my list i felt like this song had to be on the list and i chose not to play this song because people have heard killer queen it's not something that i want to uh, play right now but uh yeah just a classic killer uh queen song uh pardon yeah. the pun <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was about to say <laughs> all right so my number four comes from 1980s the game written by brian may awesome bass riff it's a straight ahead rocker uh the song is interesting because it's partly about their producer partly about every relationship they're in partly about drinking partly about drugs because every verse shares kind of a different problem that they're dealing with but everything connects to i got a dragon on my back check this out dragon attack Gotta get me on the track Gotta drag it on my back 
yeah, I love that you chose this song and we had to play this song because I just love the groove in this song. This, again, is one of my uh, more favorite queen tunes. I love this song. That groove is just so dirty, man. (laughs) I really, really like Dragon Attack. It's a good tune. Yeah, this actually almost made my top five. I had to go with it's late, but Dragon Attack was was number six. And it, the song's heavy enough that even Testament covered it on one of their albums. It was one of the bonus tracks. So if, if you don't think Queen is heavy, then you need to check out some more Queen because they definitely have heavy songs on there. How is that cover of, of this song? It's cool. I mean, it's it's Chuck Billy doesn't go crazy with the vocals, but but no, it, it sounds great. I, I want, I, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Dark Roots of the Earth. It's the bonus tracks for Dark Roots of the Earth. So uh, they also do a cover of Power Slave for Maiden and I think a Scorpion song. It's on Animal Magnetism, but it's not coming to me right now. But yeah, def- definitely uh, Dragon Tech's awesome. Now, Brian, are you a uh, Sonny and I are probably we would probably classify ourselves as more probably melodic hard rocker metal heads. Are you a heavier uh, rocker metal head? Probably. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of both. So my, my top five bands, ACDC. Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Van Halen, and Aerosmith. So, but I can definitely delve into, you know, I, I don't get super death metal heavy, but I'd say Testament and it is probably as heavy as I get. Testament Slayer, Pantera. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I you, definitely like the melodic stuff. Yeah, so you're you're actually probably right in the same class as, as Sonny and myself then because yeah. that sounds... Yeah, and I, and I think what changes it up a little bit, he's a little younger, right? Brian's yeah, yeah. a little younger. Yep. So it puts him like in the late 80s, early 90s, and he's grown up in the Bay Area. So yeah. thrash was getting big. Absolutely. Yeah, that's Absolutely. exactly so, right. Yeah. You had to like Metallica. It was like almost like a birthright. Type oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Whose turn? I think it's mine. So. Yep. Yep. All right. Now, my number three pick, and this is one I don't think anyone, unless you're a hardcore Queen fan, knows, but it's amazing. And it's called Son and Daughter. It's off the self-titled debut and this song is heavy as hell. I, I, anyone that thinks that Queen wasn't a hard rock band or had heavy songs, listen to Son and Daughter. Even Corrosion of Conformity covered it on their latest album, in, which is called No Cross, No Crown. I, I think this song even inspired Aerosmith for their song Round and Round on Toys in the Attic, because I hear a lot of similarities in that riff. So yeah, the riffage is awesome and heavy, and you can't help but headbang after hearing it. And I think what makes the song unique is that it's also mixed in with some vicious vocals from Freddie, and, and but then you get these harmony vocals. It's it's really cool, and, and this one is solely written by Brian May, and it's a dream for hard rock fans who love enormous riffs. And, and interestingly enough, there's not even a guitar solo on it, but you don't even miss it because the riff is so great. And this is definitely one of my uh, favorite favorite deep tracks from Queen. Holy shit! After a sales job like that, we absolutely have to play this song. So right now we are gonna. Bump in a little son and daughter from Queen. Check this tune out and we'll come back and talk about it a little bit more.
yeah, you could have sold me that was a Sabbath tune. Yeah, yep. I'll tell you what, out of everything that's on our playlist, uh, and this is the God's honest truth, out of everything that's on all three of our playlists, when I heard this song, because I had no clue about this song, like I, I, a son and daughter, I was like, okay, what, what album is this even on? So I had to dig deep down into the rabbit hole. And when I listened to this tune, I was like, holy shit, that's my favorite song on all three of our playlists. I oh, wow. love this song because it's so I heard Sabbath definitely influenced. I didn't hear the Aerosmith till you said so and and now you're right about that. I can act, absolutely see that influence there, but I loved this song. This song went instantly on one of my like personal playlists. I put Son and Daughter on my personal playlist and uh, I went and downloaded this uh, entire record to put in my catalog and and just fantastic fantastic song. Love this song. Awesome. All right, brother, you're up. All right. So all roads lead back to me, even though I just told you that I love that song. It's time for me. So here's another one that I dug up from my own personal just seeking out songs. And I am going to play this song that is called Fight from the Inside. Give this a listen and we'll talk about it afterwards.
listen. I had never heard that song before. So I, I listened to it and I'm like, because I heard it on, oh yeah, I listened to it on iTunes, you know how they do the little clip. And I'm like, that sounds different. <laughs> and then when I go to the rabbit hole, I'm like, oh, because Freddie's not singing. Yeah, Fight from the Inside was written and sung by Taylor. Um, And in addition to the drums, he also played rhythm guitar and bass guitar for the latter. He borrowed Deacon's instruments, so he told John Deacon, I'll play bass on this, and he borrowed the bass from John Deacon. The track is built around a guitar riff um, that is among the first in Queen's catalog to focus predominantly on the drums and the bass. So as opposed to the lead guitar, it's also one of the few songs in the band's discography that's recorded almost entirely by one member, and another being Sheer Heart Attack. That's the other song that's recorded almost entirely by one member. Slash has cited the guitar riff to this song as one of his favorite riffs of all time. Yeah, I mean, this comes from my favorite album from Queen, News of the World. I mean, it's you'd be hard pressed to pick a favorite off that one. So that, that's a that's a great pick, and I even like I love my car. So I, I like <laughs> Roger Taylor a lot. That's a great scene in the movie too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say even though they bust on him in the movie about that yeah. song, uh, you know, I had to laugh. I chuckled to myself with that whole scene in the movie where they're busting on him about I love my car, and I'm thinking, uh, so this is a discussion that's coming from a band that eventually, you know. Freddie Mercury writes a song about his cat Delilah. You know, yeah. I'm kind of like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Remember how I said I reacted out loud a couple of times? The part where they're kind of fighting because they're about to break up. Yes. And he says something to Deacon about, I can't even picture what you would be doing. And Deacon says something like, Well, I was going to school for electrical engineering. And he goes, God, that sounds so right. And I'm like, Dad! out loud oh yeah they're just he's just ripping on them <laughs> everyone that was something i found interesting so again not knowing everything there was to know about queen you know i may have heard it in passing but i i didn't it didn't hit home with me until the movie again which is brian may being a astrophysicist you yeah know, that, he actually i think he went back and got his degree after uh you know after freddie died i believe yeah interesting him and uh that the cat from uh the offspring those guys are like super super smart they can start their own startup company or something that's right (laughs) that's true (laughs) (laughs) all right so my number three we're just going to kind of talk about it we're not going to play it it's the anti-firearm song put out the fire there was a bunch of songs that queen did over time if you don't know where the lead vocal was kind of shared at times it would be shared in the chorus at times be verses but in this song, pretty much Freddie does most of the lead singing, but the end of each verse, there's a falsetto part uh, that Brian's doing. And I guess the story goes that Brian was having a hard time getting the solo right, so they told him to get hammered. So he drank a bunch of stuff and then went and did the solo and did it right. So mm-hmm. I don't know how accurate that story is, but I love the line, you need a gun like you need a hole in the head. Like It's an interesting song to me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, I I like this song. This is another song that I didn't know a whole lot about. And I went and, uh, you know, pulled this one out and started listening to it. And yeah, I mean, it's a good rock tune. I dig it. I think that whole uh, Hot Space in general, I need to revisit because that one, I really don't know much. I mean, besides Under Pressure, uh, the album's pretty much foreign to me. So I, I need to go back and check that one out. 
Well, you know, like all Queen records, here's the thing about Queen albums. I think Queen albums have a little bit something for everyone. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there is a Queen album that I love start to finish, and that's mainly because I don't like a whole lot of slower shit. Mm-hmm. You know, a song can be amazing. I mean, Queen wrote some amazing ballads. I'm just not a huge ballads fan. So it's not that the song is horrible. It's just that I don't prefer that kind of stuff. And all Queen albums have their rockin' moments and their mellow moments and their part rockin', part mellow moments. (laughs) You know, and that's a Queen album for you. But I can appreciate the, I guess the right word is artistry in yeah. each one of their records, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely kitchen sink band type of thing, you know? <laughs> uh, they talk about that a little bit in the movie. Yeah. Like they were doing all kinds of weird stuff, which I didn't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. Yep, and at the heart of it all, listen, like we've said, we've said it a couple times in this episode already, like is still rock and roll. This is yeah. a rock and roll band, make no mistake about it. And more cases than not, this is a hard rocking band, especially when you think about some of these songs came out in the early 70s, like 72 you know 71 72 73 some of this stuff was written and at the time some of the other stuff that's going on around that time i mean this this band rock and rolled baby yeah all right brian is at his number two i think yeah all right so my number two is from a day at the races and it's tie your mother down and this was almost my number one pick because i'm a sucker for kick-ass riffs and this song definitely has a memorable riff and the riff itself is actually very jangly almost like country-like if you single it out however when it blends into the drumming and the bass then it turns into a super awesome hard rock song and freddie just sings his ass off on this one and as a lot as much as i love the main riff the guitar soloing on this track is one of my favorites from brian may Kind of starts with this like menacing low end and then transition into some great bluesy slide guitar work. And, you know, I love the blues. So just tremendous. And this song was uh, solely written by Brian May. And that kind of the, the main line of tie your mother down was just kind of a joke throwaway sort of line. And then Freddie was the one that really pushed him to keep it, you know, keep the line in the song. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because the first version of this song I heard was the single version, which totally eliminates the sort of bombastic, almost like Asian style gong opening. But then I think the buildup of the album version is what makes the intro riff even that more powerful. And, uh, Joe Elliott and Slash actually performed this at Freddie's, uh, tribute concert, 19, 1992. Just love tie your mother down. Love, love, love tie your mother down. And it wasn't till years after I'd heard this song that I even heard that, gong opening that you're talking about mm-hmm. um and this is the song that i was referencing earlier that was similar to Sonny's story which is i heard tie your mother down through lynch mob covering oh, it nice. on their the second, second album. album yeah yep. i had not heard this song before that or at least i don't remember it you know i'm senile so i forget a lot of shit and so that's (laughs) the way it rolls but tie your mother down i heard on the second lynch mob loved it and said well i knew it was a cover i just didn't know whose cover it was and i seeked that out and uh found it it's a queen cover and you know i was like holy shit and again that furthered my going down that rabbit hole because the queen rabbit hole is kind of a big one you know yeah, and I read somewhere this song was like laying around for a while. Supposedly he wrote it in the late 60s or something like that. 
Oh, wow. And then they finished it off. And I think I must have heard the single version first because I don't remember when I went and listened to it again the other day. There's this first minute that's just all kinds of, I'm like, what is this minute? Like, I couldn't let this go. So the single version must not have that first musical interlude thing that they're doing for a minute. Right. Yeah. So it just goes right in the song. Because that's what I remember is a kick-ass song. Because I bought the greatest hits must have the single version. Yes. Because I think yes. I listened to it on YouTube. And I'm like, what is this? This isn't Tie Your Mother Down. And it took mm-hmm. a minute before it kicked in. Yeah, because it leads off the album, I believe, of, of A Day at the Races. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great song, though. Absolutely. All right. That leads me to my number two. So my number two is number two for a reason. It's an obvious Queen song. It's one that I'm not going to bother playing because everybody's heard it one million plus times. And that's another one, Bites the Dust. So this song made my list because, like I told you guys earlier, it was kind of my first experience with Queen at an early age when I was still forming my musical love, basically. Uh, I was in my freshman year of high school. I was lonely. I didn't know a ton of people. And it was a scary time for me as, you know, a kid. I mean, I was, uh, I guess, 15 years old at the time, just starting to get out and get around more adult people. And music was a big part of my life. And so this song was definitely one of those songs that was a memory for me in those days. Uh, Another One Bites the Dust was written by John Deacon, uh, as it's showcased there in the movie. Yep. Great scene. Yeah, absolutely. The song is known as a funk song and was released as a single at the suggestion of Michael Jackson. So Mm -hmm. the rumor goes that uh, uh, Freddie Mercury ran into Michael Jackson backstage at a concert after they had played Another One Bites at Us. And Michael suggested to them that they absolutely need to release this as a single, which they did. Michael Jackson apparently was a pretty big fan of uh, of Queen at one point in time, uh, which doesn't really surprise me. I mean, Michael liked a whole bunch of different stuff, and uh, Michael was a pretty big rock fan from everything I've read. Another One Bites the Dust had worldwide success, reaching number one in America and many other countries, and in the UK it reached number seven. After the success of the song, Queen recorded Hot Space, which was a more disco album. And yeah, that that album, I kind of went through uh, some listening on that Hot Space album. That's a little bit of a tough uh, listen. Hmm. Definitely, definitely different than most of their stuff, but uh, it's credited as Queen's best-selling single, having sold 7 million copies worldwide. Uh, the song was played live since 1980 until the last tour with Freddie Mercury in 86. Part of the song was performed during Queen's medley by Extreme on the Freddie Mercury tribute concert 1992. Uh, one great story about Another One Bites Dust. It was supposed to be used in Rocky Three. And Sylvester Stallone wanted that to be the main song and Queen wouldn't give him the rights to it. And because of that, you got Eye of the Tiger. So, wow, that's interesting. Wow. I didn't yeah. know that. That's what he wanted. And, and as good as a, another one bites the dust, Eye of the Tiger is better for Rocky three, I think. Yeah. It's a cheesier song. It is. It is. Yeah. The funk in that baseline. I mean, you could easily say it's the most recognizable baseline ever. Yeah. In yeah, rock. Absolutely. It was the first bass line my son learned how to play. Like, 
I was like, hey, uh, if you're going to pick up the bass, can you learn this? It's all, oh, sure. You know, that kind of thing. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. You're up, Hollywood. All right. So my number two comes off of 1978's jazz album. Uh, Brian May wrote it. And it's, again, Mercury and May kind of sharing the vocals. Super catchy song. I love the acapella beginning. And, you know, I got to tell you, there's nothing wrong with fat bottom girls. I have far partaken. <laughs> fat bottom girls are awesome. <laughs> oh, my God. Know. This podcast has taken a turn for the worst. <laughs> and there is nothing wrong with fat bottom girls. I can tell you that right now. I got to be honest. The sensible part of me says, let's cut this conversation and take it in a different direction. But God damn it, I love fat bottom girls, too. So I'm just going to continue on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you want to chime in on any of this? Yeah, well, yeah, I was keeping PG thirteen, so I won't. No, uh, um, no, it's it's actually this was one of the songs in the movie that drove me nuts because of the timeline. Because I think they were playing it in concert and they were trying to say it was nineteen seventy five, and I don't think this came out until uh, the jazz album. So, uh, but it's a great song, great song. I mean, this is it's fun as hell. I mean, where else can you sing about fat bomb girls and not really get in trouble? Yeah, I love the guitar riff at the beginning. Uh, who doesn't want to air guitar to that guitar riff in the beginning? Oh yeah. And it's a fantastic song. It's, of course, a Queen classic as far as I'm concerned. But the problem with me and Fat Bottom Girls at this point is that now, every time I see this song, I think about the stupid Spinal Tap for oh, some yeah. reason. I guess because of Big Bottom, but, you know, just it, just a thing in my head that goes off. And that's what it always uh, reminds me of a little bit. Mud flaps, my baby's got them. <laughs> <laughs> gotta uh, love it you gotta love it uh, it's an awesome song all right so we're ready for the number ones right yeah, yeah so before we get to the number ones i thought it was important to point out that we're gonna play everybody's number ones just because i thought it was appropriate seeing that it's our number ones. so each one of these number ones we'll go through we're gonna drop in and crank up the volume on them so brian head to it buddy Cool. My number one is Save Me from the game. And to this point, most of the tracks I have picked have been the heavier side of Queen. But my all-time favorite Queen song is a ballad. And interestingly enough, with the exception of Stone Cold Crazy, which was written by the entire band, all of my picks have been Brian May written tracks. And this is, to me, just a perfect, perfect power ballad. Brian May may have written the music and the lyrics, but Freddie just owns the lyrics and performs them like only he could. And everything about this song I love, the acoustic guitars, the vocals, the solo, the power, the buildup is just amazing. And it's even better live in concert. So I recommend checking out the 1981 live in Montreal show just to see how awesome and emotional this song is. You know, Brian May starts on piano while you know freddie's just singing and and then the best part is that freddie's wearing a tank top that has a superman logo on it because he's he is like superman vocally and uh, you know then when brian then switches the guitar freddie runs over and takes over on piano it's like seamless it's, it's just a beautiful song and and i absolutely adore it it started off so well said we made a perfect pair. Shine and see. 
Yeah, that's a complicated composition that's got a lot of stuff going on in it, but that is a bona fide Queen classic. And I will also tell you, any cover I've heard of Save Me has also been good. Mm-hmm. So the guys that have the guys and gals that have decided to cover it over time are at least smart enough to say, if I can't get close, I ain't gonna do it at all. And they do a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge ballad uh, person, as that's obviously been documented time and time again. But I love this song. I mean, I think it is a great song. I listened to this recently when we were preparing for this episode, and I was just like, you know, this it's just everything good about it. It's not so mellow that you know it forgets to rock and roll. It rock and rolls too, but. The thing about Freddie Mercury and ballads, man, he has a way of emotionally connecting to his ballads and it sells everything he sings. It's just, it's amazing to me. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So you're number one. All right. So on to my number one. So listen, I looked long and hard and and thought about, you know, what was going to be my number one, because honestly, I could have made 50 songs my number one. Uh, And even songs like Stone Cold Crazy and Tie Your Mother Down, they could have been number one for me. But I thought maybe it would be fitting to go back to the very beginning for Queen, which is on that debut record. And even before that, they recorded this four-song demo, I think, in the studio, which they cover a little bit in the movie. But this song was part of that. And this is a song called Keep Yourself Alive.
get better every day. No, I just think I'll just stay right through my grave. <laughs> So the notes on this song, it's a Brian May composition after the band was formed, but before John Deacon joined the band. According to what May said in a radio special about their 77 album, News of the World, he had penned the lyrics thinking of them as ironic and tongue-in-cheek, but their sense was completely changed when Freddie Mercury sang them. Roger Taylor and May sing the vocal bridge on the song. Yeah, I've always loved the chorus of that song, and I love that little drum solo thing in the middle. I mean, yeah. this, I've never seen Queen live, never got a chance to see him live, but it, this must be a great song live. It just makes me feel good when I hear this tune, so that's that's kind of the way I feel about this song. Yeah, definitely. And it, it start, it, like you said, it's the very first song and the very first album. It What a great way to start a career, kind of, you know? Absolutely. Yup, yup. All right, so my number one. My number one comes off, a night at the opera 75 and you know, most people bohemians on that album and love of my life is on that album. So it gets kind of all the notice sometimes. And even in the movie, I'm in love with my car gets made fun of and that's on the album. But there's a point in the movie where they're arguing what the first single should be. And the producer, it should be this, it should be this, it should be this. And I'm, I'm like, I didn't say it out loud in the movie theater, but I'm like, yeah, it should be. It's the best song on that CD. <laughs> you know, so my number one, I label it as the absolute perfect pop song that Freddie absolutely hated that it had this electric piano on it, but it is catchy as hell and it always makes me feel good. You're my best friend. Check this out. The best. 
Yep, that's another one that's uh, just it makes you feel good to hear it. Bottom line. Yeah, and and I lo- actually, I love the keyboard. I think that's what differentiates it from other songs. And it, yeah, it's of the time. It's very seventies, but no, it's it's a beautiful song. It's a terrific song. So that's our top five. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I got um, I got a lot of songs that I had on an initial list, and you know, I think I want to point out some of them. Like uh, there were three songs on some kind of magic alone which was the highlander soundtrack essentially but i love give me the prize i love princes of the universe and you know i loved uh songs like songs like a ballad like um nope who wants to live forever i mean that song is so that song literally like makes me cry sometimes when i hear that song you know well, especially when you know what happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially in the context of that movie, for sure. Uh, and, and Freddie's and Freddie's wife. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then songs like Liar, which was one of their earliest songs. And It's Late, I Go Crazy off the works I loved a lot. Dead on Time off of Jazz, I thought was a really good tune. And uh, One Vision, Love One Vision. Flash Gordon theme. Come on now. Who doesn't love the Flash Gordon theme? Everybody <laughs> loves that tune. I don't. Whatever. <laughs> on the don't list. <laughs> How about you guys? Did you have any songs that fell outside that uh, that you want to give a shout out to? I definitely did. Um, this one is funky as hell. I love it. Get Down, Make Love yep. from News of the World. Oh, that's that's awesome. Uh, that that again, that almost made my top five. Now I'm here, which is, is very it's late. Uh, it, it, great song. Uh, Ogre Battle. From Ogre Queen Battle. Yeah. So good. That, that's one of Slash's favorite songs. So, yeah, there, I mean, again, we, it's 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 almost impossible to do a top five. I think we did an amazing job coming up with only five. But there's so many great Queen songs out there for everyone. Yeah. The three that uh, just missed my top five. One was I Want It All, which would, you know. It was such a big hit. You know, nobody had Bohemian on their list either, but everybody loves that song. Sure. Staying Power, which is off Hot Space, that bass line and some funk on that bass line. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other one that just was out of my type five was Let Me Entertain You, uh, which it's a little bit of musical theater a little bit, but really like the song because it's so catchy. Yeah. Listen, Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, would have been on all of our list, but I think we all kind of thought alike, which is... I don't think that song needs any more promotion. Everybody's heard it a million times. Everybody loves it. It's a song that literally defines Queen, I think, at this stage of their career, you know? Oh, absolutely. And and, and like, we will rock you. I mean, can you think of a a better, more well-known drum beat? I mean, they reference it in the movie, but you can't go to a a stadium without hearing that. I mean, that, that is the absolute most iconic intro ever and the song's just as iconic and and yeah it it easily could be on a top five list but i think if this show is for more getting in more in depth i think our list should make you more than just a casual queen fan brian you're a movie guy who doesn't remember uh one vision also being part of uh what was it iron eagle 2 or something (laughs) well yeah iron eagle 2 that's that might be one that people have missed out on i love iron eagle 1 but yeah i think there's even four of them so yeah we'll we'll have to do a review on those there was four yeah, I believe that. <laughs> oh my god, I gave up halfway through two. Yeah, <laughs> was, well, somebody's got to keep Lou Gossett in work. You know? <laughs> was it was it one vision that was on one or was it on two? 
Oh, I, you know, I got. I would have to look that up. I don't know, the, but I I remember it being pretty a uh, pretty important scene, like in the plane and everything. And I I yeah. did actually love that scene because of that song. I think it's in one because didn't one yeah. come out in '86? Yes. Yeah. 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 That's <laughs> actually there's like, there's some hard rock on uh, Iron Eagle. I think there's more than just Queen on there. So yeah. Dude, That's it's called good. dude. It's called Iron Eagle. Of course, there's hard gotta rock have on it. it. <laughs> oh, Eric Martin's on it. King Cobra, Dio's on there. So yeah, kick ass. There you go. Sonny, you downloading the Iron Eagle soundtrack today? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we do a movie review of Iron Eagle, we'll have you guys on. Hey, <laughs> I, I I will tell you. I was watching some of the videos, so you know the Highlander stuff came up because some of this stuff's on Highlander. Yeah, yeah. and I. I wasn't in love with that movie, so the videos were painful. I'm like, oh, God. I think that's a kind of an underrated film. I, I think the music definitely lends a lot to it, but I, like, I love Sean Connery, so that, that helps sell it for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but how many heads did they cut off? Because in the video oh, yeah. alone, there was like four. Listen, <laughs> I loved, 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 loved the first Highlander. And recently, I, you know, it was such a classic movie for me and such a big part of my growing up that I pulled my wife in. I was like, my wife doesn't see a lot of movies and TV. She's a book reader. So she hasn't seen a lot of stuff that we would just be like, holy shit, you haven't seen this. So this was a holy shit. You haven't seen this. So I pulled her in and we watched it together. And I'm thinking as I watched it, you know, this movie hasn't necessarily aged that well. <laughs> mm. No, I get that. Yeah. I still enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. You're never going to tell me. You know, I'm never going to say I don't enjoy Highlander because I do. I have the Highlander box set thing with the three movies but yeah i don't think i don't think it made me look all that good in her eyes when i tried to push her <laughs> push the movie on her that's all i'm she, saying she's like these are these effects really aren't that special so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, can, we, can we go see a bohemian rhapsody in the theater thanks yeah, yeah kind yeah. of <laughs> yeah <laughs> One thing I want to add about Queen, I think when you look up the definition of arena rock or stadium rock, I think Queen has to have a picture right there next to the definition because really they are the quintessential stadium arena rock band, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I wanted to ask you guys a question because like, you, you kind of grew up you know, before, before I did with, with regards to hard rock music. Was Queen huge in the United States compared to, to the to the rest of the world. I didn't realize that they according to the movie they had like instant success after the first album came out on that second album and I didn't really remember them being that big of a band in the US. For me and maybe it's because of my age but for me they became like this huge band around another one bites the dust. Now I'm okay. sure I know I'm sure they have had success before then but just as far as my age and as far as my recollection uh, another one bites the dust is what really skyrocketed them. Yeah, and I would say the same thing but now by the time I get in they're all over MTV, right? Mm. They're making crazy videos and they were they were an MTV darling for a while until they made a couple of videos that got banned which was also in the movie, which was a cool part of the movie. But I think I, by the time I'm getting into music, they're past their peak. They haven't come down yet, but they're about to. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You wanted the best, but you got the best. 
It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. All right, so uh, historic moment time. Uh, we usually try to connect it to the episode topic, but and there's not a lot of Queen and Kiss connections uh, out there. So since we had Brian, we figured maybe we'd get a little bit of his history because I know he's a little bit of a Kiss fan. Yep. Uh, so Brian, tell us a little bit about. You didn't name him as one of your top five, but uh, no. <laughs> I know you're a Kiss fan. So tell us how you got into Kiss. No, I am. I I, I want to say I got into him uh, through a friend's dad who had Kiss Alive on eight tracks still, and this is in the early '90s, and he still had his eight tracks, and he actually had a player that worked and. I saw the cover of the A-Track, and I, I'm sure I had heard Kiss before, you know, but this is around the Revenge era. And so once he put on Kiss Alive, I was like, okay, I'm going to BMG. I'm going to get my five discs for a dollar, and I got all Kiss albums, and uh, I don't know if I paid for the, the fifth one. <laughs> but uh, from then on, I was just like, okay, Kiss Alive, this is amazing. Now I'm going to go back in time and, and get all, like, I got as many Kiss tapes on cassette as I could, and uh, that was the beginning of Kiss for me. Yeah. So today, earlier today, and uh, I'm going to say just a few hours ago. Yeah, you put since me on I the couldn't, spot for that one. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't figure out anything for the historic moment, so I send uh, a message to Brian. I'm like, "All right, five deep cuts that were not hits by Kiss that are your faves." So he sent uh, "Almost Human," "Easy as It Seems," "Somewhere Between Heaven and Hell," "Magic Touch," and the song we're going to play for you right now from Crazy Nights, "Thief in the Night."
Sweet, one of my least yeah. favorite Kiss records, but I do like that song. <laughs> yeah, that's my by far my favorite song on that album. And what's interesting, it was it was written like three or four years before that album came out, which is probably why I like it. And uh, it was on the Wendy O. Williams Wow album, so uh, that's probably why I like that more than anything on uh, Crazy Nights. Man, this has been fun. I don't know about you guys, but I've enjoyed uh, everything about this uh, this episode and just exploring Queen and having you on, Brian. Brian, pimp out your podcast again. Tell people. Sure, no. Thank you for having me on. This has been amazing. Um, yeah, my, my podcast is Damn Good Movie Memories. We've been doing it for a few years. Uh, we have... We try to cover different music subjects, uh, you know, whether it be your favorite movie villain or your favorite. Uh, we do all sorts of soundtracks. We do soundtrack reviews because we love music, too. Uh, we're getting we're winding down to how many unique episodes I can do regarding subjects, because, you know, what are you going to do after a while? So I have a, an enormous DVD collection. So what I'm going to do is just pick a random DVD out of my collection, and that will be the topic for the week. And that'll cover me for at least 20 years, so I'm good after that. So uh, if you love movies, check it out. And uh, Damn Good Movie Memories, we're on Spotify, iTunes, all that all that stuff. And so, it, you know, it's a lot of fun, and I, I enjoy doing it, and it keeps me out of trouble. And now, Brian, is it just you, or you have a guest on every week, or is it one co-host? What is What is the situation? I'm definitely the main host, um, but what I like to do is I like to get, I kind of have like um, my group of movie buffs that I have on and, and we'll cover a topic, but like there are certain soundtracks where they just aren't into that certain soundtrack. So I usually have a backfill, like even my mom's on. So she does a lot of the uh, 70s and 60s soundtracks. So we're, we're going to get ready to do an Animal House soundtrack episode with her and she's great. She loves doing it. She's, she's obviously one of my biggest fans and so, yeah, so I just if, if you like movies and you're interested, a lot of the people I work with are way into movies. And so we just take breaks, record quick clips, and that becomes the episode for the week. So it's it's a lot of fun to do that because doing it alone is is very difficult. So, I mean, that's why you guys are, are you know, partnered up to do it solo is a little bit difficult. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I love that. Pod, I love your podcast because it Thank is you. professional. It's incredibly edited. So you must do an incredible job cutting in all the – because you'll cut in just like little snippets, like you do a lot of work on the editing. Yeah, to me that's uh, the that's the fun part. Um, you know, the interviewing and, and scheduling interviewing, as as you guys know, is really difficult. That that becomes the pain in the ass. But once I get everything compiled, just sitting down and and putting you know that puzzle together, that to me is the the fun part of it. Yeah, it's it's great. And I think you're at what 100, 300, 400 episodes now, right? Yeah, we're at one ten now. So yeah, it's oh, you're been, at one ten. Oh, yeah, wow. so it's been great, and uh, the the listenership keeps going up, and and people enjoy it, and that's all I care about. You know, that's if I enjoy doing it, then I'm hoping other people do. So that's uh, this has been great, and I love guesting on other podcasts because it's a good way to cross pollinate. You know. I think you mentioned it earlier, and I don't remember what the conversation was, but you mentioned Saturday Night Fever. Uh, yeah. earlier funny fact that was actually the first rated r movie i ever snuck into when i was a kid <laughs> awesome and that's funny because that's an, actually one of our episodes what was the first rated r movie you saw so and what was the first movie you guys saw in a theater shit son. mine was top gun really yeah how is that oh, possible yeah because it came out my senior year and we never went to the movies crazy holy shit my, it's funny about about Top Gun. I my parents took me to that. It's rated PG. I'm probably eight at the time, and suddenly the Kelly McGillis Tom Cruise love scene happens, and I'll never forget my dad turning to my mom saying, 
geez, we didn't see this one coming. So yeah, <laughs> take my breath away. It took my parents' breath away too. So God yeah. dang. Here's a great idea for you, Brian. I think this yep. is a fantastic idea. I think at some point you should do an episode on damn good movie memories and call it call the episode Growing Up Movies and have me and Sonny <laughs> on to talk about our youthful growing up with movies because I got a couple stories around that. So that well, would be, be fun awesome. to do. I'd also love to get you guys as uh, your, you know, maybe your top five favorite soundtracks too. So we, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yep, absolutely, be fun yeah. to do. So we'll figure it out. We'll plan it. We'll definitely make it happen. But this has been awesome. So thankful for you guys actually taking my idea and going and seeing the movie because I know it was a lot to get people's schedules to actually go see the movie and. Now I've got to uh, basically work through the night and into the morning to try and get this thing edited and out tomorrow evening for the listeners. But God damn it, I can do it. Like a thief in the night. <laughs> like a thief in the night. I will make this happen. Awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, all right. Yeah, that was good. That was good. It's like I have my own podcast or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> I feel like we should we should like sing a song or play a song at the end that's like a kumbaya song, like Almost Paradise or something. <laughs> All right. I'm shuffle, rattling, and rolling. Sonny, do you have anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, great episode. Brian, thanks for joining us. And uh, listeners, keep us uh, keep giving us reviews on Podchaser. Really appreciate it. And send us your top five queen, by the way. Yeah, definitely send us your top five queen on the Facebook page or or whatever and uh, communicate with us. Let us know what we missed and um, let's talk about it in the Facebook page. But Brian Davis, Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you so much, guys. This was a blast. We'll see you guys next week. Later. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
We know why you people are here today. We love you, Friday!
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.